phone, I would really encourage you to get the Baylife app. On it, we have this underneath the information tab, we have this little thing called One Verse Evangelism. And it's this great system by which you can share your faith. If you've ever wanted to tell someone how they can become a Christian, you can just use one verse, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you can explain the whole gospel to them. And so there's a series of slides there that would take way too long for me to go through. It's going to end up basically here in one of these little pictorial depictions of, of uh, that verse. Uh, who we were before God, wages of sin is death. Who we were once we met Jesus and became reunited with God. Uh, we, we received his gift and eternal life. Uh, you can use that... Uh, uh, that same app to talk about uh, the, the two conditions of, of the Christ life, which is confession and surrender. And then you can kind of uh, lead them to a decision with the ABCs, which come next to acknowledge, believe, and confess. It's just a great tool. There's some awesome online resources that will help you understand on a, on a deeper level. You can watch people kind of walk through that whole presentation. It only takes like five or six minutes. And if it's uh, useful for you in, in becoming someone's... Remember we talked a couple... Uh, uh, a series ago about everybody's somebody's pastor, everybody's somebody's elder. Uh, you could be someone in your life's uh, source of truth in life, and you could use this as part of that. So I pray you get a chance to. Uh, hopefully we'll see you all at our uh, Bonanza, and now it's time to preach. Everybody cool with that? All right, let's get after it. Here we go. We've been talking about the origins of everything. Uh, last week we talked about uh, God's... Uh, the first five words of the, of the scriptures, what? In the beginning, what? God created. I think they're the most important five words of the entire Bible. There's certainly other things that are, are uh, equally uh, weighted. Uh, but unless God creates everything, there's nothing to talk about beyond that, right? And so uh, we've been just uh, wrestling last week with how God created, maybe some of the scientific issues with that. Uh, and, then, and then what God created first, which was the light in the darkness. And we talked about how that's a great parlay or a great example of the gospel that we understand from the New Testament, that Jesus came as our light into a world that was dark without him and that we can uh, have life through him, the light of the world. Um, as I talked to, or thought about it this weekend, though, I came up with this question. I want to kind of start with this. Turn to someone next to you, uh, and if you don't know them, introduce yourself, otherwise it's rude. But uh, uh, what does it matter that God created? Just kind of talk a little bit as a church about that. What, why does it matter? What, or what does it matter? Uh, that, that God created. What's the big deal about us fussing over God and his creation? Go ahead and talk with each other, and then we'll discuss. Go ahead. I never bring water out. I had a bottle back. All right, time's up. I guess the first question is, does it matter that God created? That was kind of a given for me. But does it matter to you that God created everything? Okay, good. Me too. Why does it matter that God created? Anybody want to offer an answer? Okay, wait, wait, wait. What? Nothing would be here. We wouldn't be hanging out if God hadn't created us. That's a great one. Another one. Yeah. Oh, see, that's great. That's, that's what I was going to say. And I think someone else said it over here. Authority. If God created everything, he's in charge of everything. You're the creator, you're the owner, you're the designer, you're the determiner. You get to say how things go. It's like being the host of a party. Anybody host a Super Bowl party last week? Anybody? I did. Had a couple couple couples over. Still didn't sound right after four services, but I had a couple couples over. 
And uh, uh, they, they came over. And listen, they, they figured it out. When you're, when you're hanging out watching the Super Bowl at somebody's house, when do you leave? Anybody know? Halftime. You get out. All right? And if you stayed the whole game at somebody's house and they were looking at you funny, it's because you didn't get the memo. You're supposed to leave at halftime. All right? Watch Coldplay, get in your car, go home and finish the game there. We've got to go to work in the morning. Everybody with me? All right. Now, some of you, you, maybe you do it different. That's fine. You're on that different planet. That's fine. But everybody at my uh, Super Bowl party, these other two couples were like, all right, we're out. I didn't have to, I didn't have to, you know. But here's the deal, just so you know. Um, I'm not an unfriendly person. I hope I don't appeal that way to you. But if, if it's my house and it's my party, guess who gets to say when it's over? This guy, Right? And uh, usually people, you know, if they're just kind of friends, they'll, they'll be sensitive to that. But anybody had family over? Family just, sometimes family doesn't know when to get out, right? And so uh, maybe we have a different comfort level with them. I have said to family on different occasions, hey, you don't have to go away mad, but you do have to go away, right? Or I'm going to bed now. There's the light switch. If you would do me the kindness of shutting that off and locking that door as you leave, I'm out. Have a great night. That's, I've done that. Has anybody ever done that to a family member? You, you're way past overtime, okay? I'm out. And that's how it goes. That, why? I own the house, my party, my say-so. See, now, that's on a very crass level what we have with creation. God's the authority of all things. He made it. It's his party. He has the say-so. Second thing, uh, I think creation is important and it matters because it's one of God's chief general revelations to humanity of his existence. Here's what that means. When God created everything, certainly he created everything so that we could have something. Whoever has said that, if God doesn't create, we got nothing. And certainly he created to show his authority that he's in charge and in control. But he also, on just kind of a, a more elementary level, just said, hey, I want everybody to know I'm here. When God created, he's like, hey, as these subsequent generations of humanity come into existence, I want them to look at creation and be like, there is a God. It's called general revelation. It's general revelation is basically God revealing himself to all peoples in all places at all times. Pan history, pan culture, uh, pan, you know, location. Uh, there are certain things that occur that are not specific revelation. Specific revelation, just so you know, would be like the Word of God. That's a specific revelation. It, it's God's story written down. Uh, Jesus Christ and his existence on earth would be a specific revelation of the work of God on earth. He came and specifically had a message of the gospel, and, and that's specific revelation. But general revelation, you don't even have to believe in the, in the, in the God of the Bible or the but, but it should say, if you're a, a native in Papua New Guinea, and you look at the, the earth in creation, you're like, someone made this. Okay, there's his signature right there. Uh, in, in what I see, I see him. The, the Bible talks about this in many different ways. Here's one of them. Uh, the psalmist David uh, wrote this down. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Yeah. You just look around. He's like, there's God. He's, it's obvious. This is him. He goes on and he says this in verse 2. He says, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. He gets more poetic here, but he's basically saying the same thing. Everywhere you look, uh, go back for me. Easy up there. Yeah. 
He says, everywhere you look, you're hearing the speech. If you wake up in the morning and you start walking around in this world that we live in, like let's say you go outside and you look at a tree. tree's talking to you. You know what the tree's saying? God made me. You, you, you drive, you know, whether it's east or west as you're going to work, but you look into the rising sun, and if you get past all that man made, the roads and the cars and the idiots behind the wheel and all that stuff, you can kind of see that God, well, here he is. He's talking. At night, it's like going to school. Anybody ever been out in a, in a, you know, like a deep country setting where there's no lights for miles around to kind of dim what's going on in the sky? And you can look, like I remember the first time I went to Uganda, I was laying in, uh, you know, on this bench out by this flyer we were having. And I just looked up at the sky in Uganda. I saw stuff I'd never seen before. I'm in a different part of the country. I get all that. But like, like the stars just lit up differently in the dark continent than they do here. And if you've ever been, you know, in a situation where you're just kind of looking up at space, even in the dark, you can see God and you can learn uh, that he exists. I, uh, you, you can go to the New Testament even and you can see what Paul says about it. Look at it here in Romans chapter 1. Uh, Paul and his, his uh, dissertation to his uh, friends in Rome, uh, he, he says, listen, man, I know some people in Rome deny that our God is real uh, or they, they're, they're kind of confused as to who God is, but, but nobody's without excuse. This is what he says. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, to all of humanity, because God has shown it to all of humanity. Verse 20, he says, for his individual, individual, his indivisible, or invisible, let's pick a word, let's, let's go invisible. <laughs> his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and a divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, or, in another way of saying that, in the things that he made. He just shows up. Creation is his calling card. So Paul says this about humanity. So everybody's without excuse. Here's what that means. Atheists, when they get uh, to the end and they meet God, they can be like, I didn't know you existed. Oh, yeah, you did. And you piled up a whole bunch of denial on top of that. But inside of you, there is this core understanding, because I made you this way, that when you look at the world, you're like, yep, God. Now, you may have built up your defenses to deny the existence of God, but it's in there. It's part of it. I mean, there are so many times when people who claim not to believe in God give him credit without knowing it. Uh, here, here's what I mean. I was in Key West when I was a, a junior in college. Went down there for spring break. Rough, rough, rough week. Um, most I, I went to a Christian school, and so we were trying not to be in the fray without... You know, but still have a good time. It was tough because most of the kids in college. Anybody go to spring break in college? Yeah. Anyway, uh, but the nights were always our most pleasant because uh, we would just kind of go down by the pier where everybody else was hanging out and we'd watch the sunset. All these northerners were coming down that month of March for spring break of whatever kind. And, and uh, they were all glad to be in shorts and sandals and sitting on the, on the dock of the bay, whatever. Anyway, um, and then the sun would dip. And who's watched the sunset over the, over the gulf? Anybody done that? It's beautiful. And the sun comes down, the clouds and the sky are all painted different colors. And on this particular night, it was super clear so you could actually see the shape when it gets down there. It doesn't hurt your eyes anymore to look at the sun. You could see the shape of the sun as it dipped down just below, beyond the horizon, right? And when the last little piece of the sun was gone, 
like two, three hundred people standing on this pier, just erupted into applause. Now, there's sometimes where you're like in a situation and you erupt into applause. I just, you know, it's kind of weird. Like at a movie, if you ever clap at a movie, they can't hear you, okay? They're on the screen. You know, Star Wars was great, but settle down, okay? But there they were, 300 people. Sure, some of them are probably Christians and ascribing, you know, the glory of God to what they had just seen. But a lot of people are just like, wow, son, set, awesome. And they didn't even know that they were applauding the handiwork of the God that maybe some of them denied even existence. It's in there. Creation matters because it invokes God's authority, but it reveals his existence. And so I went on last night and I talked about general revelation and special revelation and some of the great things. It was pretty good. But the things that I thought God wanted me to tell you this morning are these. And they're an answer to this question that I'm going to put on the screen right now. So what does God reveal about himself through his creation? We're going to read through most of chapter 1 in Genesis and we're just going to kind of bust through days 2 through 6 of this creation that God uh, is reported to have done. But in it, I want you to kind of go behind the scenes of the actual things that were made. And there's just two points that I want to make today, and I'm going to try to make them in time for us to get out of here. So uh, the first one is this. Uh, God can and will bring order to our lives. From creation, you can know that God is a God of order and that he can and will, if we're letting him, if we will allow him, he'll bring order to our lives because it's what he's in the business of doing. He's in the business of creating order where there has been mess or chaos, okay? Here we go. Let's start reading. Verse 6 of Genesis chapter 1. God said, "Let this is day 2, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. We'll get to that in a second. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. Verse 8, and God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning and it was the second day. So, God, first day, separates darkness from what? Light. Uh, we know that the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep, so there was already water. Apparently, he had made that day one, and so water was a part of the original recipe or ingredients that God was working with that he had already made, uh, as it's reported here in creation. And so on day two, God, now with his light uh, separating the darkness from light, and now he's going to go to the waters, and he's going to say, all right, let's, let's kind of get this sorted out here. We've got a globe that is just covered with water. Let's take some of it and let's bring it up above the globe and let's have it kind of rest uh, on this upper tier and then we'll leave a bunch down here and in between we're going to call it the expanse. Uh, the old uh, you know, versions of the scripture called it the firmament. Have you ever heard of the firmament? It basically is the heavens or the sky, not the heavens that we look forward to uh, in eternity with Christ, but, but the sky. It's the atmosphere. All right? Now just real quick, uh, there's this one theory that I'll just bring out because I heard about it in seminary, and I think it's pretty interesting. It's called the canopy theory. Uh, the canopy theory is, is basically says that there was a bunch of water that was separated from these below waters and brought above the sky so that it almost was like a canopy over the whole earth. If you can kind of picture the whole earth having this, like, I don't know how, how deep a, a, a portion of water surrounding it. Uh, but they talk about this because of a couple other things that happened in Genesis. One, there's a flood. Ever heard of it, Noah? Now, how, how do you get 40 days and 40 nights of rain? Well, not through an average, I mean, God could do it miraculously, but if God had put this whole canopy of water and this separation of the waters above the earth, 
Well, that would account for 40 days and 40 nights of rain. It would just kind of trickle down, and uh, that's, that's how the flood could happen. Another reason that uh, canopy theorists hold to this theory is they, they've always wondered how come people, especially Adam and the early generations of the people that were on the earth, according to the Bible, lived like 600, 700, 800 years, okay? Well, if you lived under a canopy or in a greenhouse, as it were, uh, perhaps that would be a, one of the reasons that people could live longer. Uh, and after the flood, you see that the ages of man just slide down pretty precipitously uh, from those big numbers at the beginning. Whatever the case may be, uh, there's lots of science that has gone in to disprove the canopy theory, but whatever. I thought it was fun to talk about. Uh, bonus material, right? You went to church and you got something free. So there you go. Let's keep going. Verse 9. <clears throat> and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And so it was so. So now we're on day three. And what comes out of the land down here on earth? Dirt. Here comes the dirt. All right. And uh, verse 10. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called the seas and, of course, the oceans and the rivers and the lakes and all that stuff. And God saw that it was, everybody say it with me. Yeah, he's going to make that proclamation at the end of most of his days. He's going to be like, love what I did there. Nailed that. Totes, man. Drop the mic. I'm out of here, right? Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Same day, third day. Let the dirt, uh, the dirt that I've produced out of the water, uh, let it start bearing some plants. There's plants yielding seed and fruit trees and uh, they're each according to their own kind on the earth, and it was so. And so verse 12 basically reiterates that. And God saw that it was, say it with me, good. And he moves on from there. Here's what happened in those uh, second and third days, is that God basically created the environments uh, and the ecosystems by which everything else that he's going to create in the next few verses will find their home. So he creates space and our sky. He creates our, our, our waters and our lands. Uh, he, he comes up with this idea of oxygen, apparently, in those times. And creates our atmosphere. So everything that he's going to bring forth to the earth, to inhabit the earth, can now be sustained by the earth. Because he thought of everything that was going to be necessary for them to exist. Has anybody ever been on a trip and someone forgot to pack right? Kind of changes the whole trip, right? Because they've underpacked. Well, God cannot be accused of underpacking when it came to creating the whole world. Thought of everything. He squared it up so that everything that he would create uh, following these first couple days, three days, um, would be able to subsist and flourish in what he had created. This shows that God is a God of order, a God of form. And he takes these things that have no form and he brings order to them. He's a God of details. Anybody here detail-oriented? Okay, the rest of us are thankful for you, except when you get kind of anal retentive and you want to control everything. You can stop doing that. But the, but the, uh, the detail orientation that you bring to situations, that bails out the rest of us who don't function that way because we're the guys who don't pack. We're the ones who are like, oh, yeah, I wish I'd thought of that. I went, I, went, I went to Africa with my buddy Tom, who's our executive pastor, and uh, he had this backpack, and in the backpack, Everything that I needed on this trip would miraculously appear. Hey, Tom, you got a tissue? Yeah. Hey, Tom, you got a modium? Yeah. Hey, Tom, you got, you know, whatever I needed. It was in the backpack. It's like a, it's like a lifelong friendship joke now. Every time he has a backpack, I'm like, cool, we're safe. If you've got that, we're good. And that's kind of how God is. 
he, he brings order and safety to things. He, he's an engineer. He's, he's, he looked at creation. He says, here's what everything needs so that they can flourish and function properly. Uh, anybody like the show How It's Made? Anybody ever seen the show How It's Made? If you haven't, it's the show where they show things how they're made. Catchy title. Um, and I never knew that I cared how a canoe was made, but then I spent 10 minutes watching how a fiberglass canoe was made, and now I'm hooked. I'm in. I want to see how stuff is made. And here, here's why I watch the show. I don't watch the show because I like canoes. I mean, they're fine. But I love watching the show and, and watching how engineers figured out a way to mass produce canoes. Or like Hershey Kisses. I, I've been saying this illustration all morning, and someone in the booth finally figured out, thank you, whoever did that. They make 60 million Hershey Kisses a day in Hershey, Pennsylvania. 60 million. Now, when they first started making Hershey Kisses, you know, they were like, you know, they had a, one of those squirt gun, you know, and that's how they made Hershey Kisses. They made the noise. It's part of it. But, you know, they just kept making the Hershey Kisses, and they could make, I don't know, 100 Hershey Kisses, I don't know, whatever, before lunch, I don't know. But 60 million, someone's got to put their brain to work on that one. And so these huge machines that spit out chocolate and, and run them down the conveyor and cool things so that they can be wrapped and even get that little, you know, one piece of paper, that useless piece of paper that's in a Hershey Kiss. You know, they figured out a way to do that so that they could make 60 million a year. Wow! Is anybody wowing on that one? Some are just like, I'm hungry. Are you getting... But that's an incredible thing, and I love watching that. You know why I love watching that? Because God created me in his image. Coming in a couple weeks, we'll talk about that. But I love watching the image of God on display in the engineering marvels of man. Oh, she just threw. <laughs> okay, Amy, don't throw things at the stage anymore. That's a, that's a Hershey's kiss. I'm, I'm on a clock. You know that, right? All right, here we go. Thank you. I'm not hungry. I meant everybody else was hungry. Here we go. Don't throw things at the preacher. That is a new rule. If that has not been understood in this church, I'm, it's on tape. Mark this, post it on our website. Don't throw things at me while I'm preaching. So you're like, okay, so what, Mark? You like how it's made? Uh, so what, Mark? God made, you know, everything, the ecosystems and everything. So, it can, okay, what's that got to do with me? I'll tell you what it's got to do with you. Does you uh, I'll tell you about me. My life tends toward, trends towards mess. Second law of thermodynamics, you learned about that? Everything is moving towards chaos. It's why you can't find the other sock. Okay? You put it in the laundry, but it's not here anymore. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Humanity happened. A sinful world happened. And life that was in order is now out of order. Okay? I get in distress. I make messes, sometimes of my own making, sometimes someone else makes them for me, but I'm in the middle of it a lot. Testify, anybody? And here's the good news, that from the beginning, God has been in the business of taking messes and injecting himself and bringing order in that place. Now, he may not take the mess away because some of you are like, well, I thought he'd take the mess away. Doesn't promise that. Because there's, there's so many variables. If you're, if you're out of sorts with someone in your life, they've got to want to play too. So he doesn't promise that messes are going to go away, but he promises that as you're going through the mess, he'll be there with you. And where there was no peace, he can give you peace. And where there was no hope, he can give you hope. And where there was no direction or discern, discerning uh, understanding of where you're supposed to go, he can provide that too. And he does it all the time. Everybody praise God for that.
had the joy of meeting tons of people in my 25 years of ministry now. I can't believe it's been 25 years, but I started this, 20, this gig 25 years ago. Not here, but anyway. So over the course of that time, I've met some amazing people, many of which kind of grew up in the church, never really blew it, and they were still persisting in the church. If that's you, that's awesome. But I, I've, I've enjoyed talking to some of the colorful people. Has anybody met some of them? The ones who, you know, didn't grow up in the church. Um, I was talking with this one guy, uh, you know, and, and we were talking this one time, and he says, uh, we got past all the, you know, formalities and whatever, and we had spent enough time that we're like, so tell me your story. He says, well... Which stint in prison do you want to hear about? Well, there was, was there one where you were involved in the assault of a pastor? Because I'm going to want to know that right now. No, never took it out on a pastor. Okay, go ahead. You pick what you want. But he detailed for me the, the things that he'd found himself in, the stints that he had, you know, served in, in our penitentiaries. And I was like, so how'd you get from there to hear. And that's when he told me the amazing story of God's reordering of his life. He met a Christian who told him about Jesus. I don't know if he used the one verse thing, but he heard about Jesus and Jesus came into his life. And he wasn't perfect right away, but he didn't go back to jail. And he started figuring things out and got involved in a church and a men's group and and, and, and he's been hanging out uh, here with us for a long time. And he's a different dude. In fact, if you looked at him, you wouldn't think orange jumpsuit, you'd think servant of God. And we don't have to wear our pasts on a patch, but we don't have to live like we did because once you meet God, the old passes away and behold, all things become what? We are a new creation. That's what he's in the business of doing. He's not just in the business of rectifying what was wrong. He's in the business of guiding our paths. He, he brings order even to the, the very steps of our lives. Can anybody think back through your life and, and think of the times that God said, zig, not zag? We're going this way, not that way. And you didn't know why at the time, and now you look back and you're like, oh. Like, just so you know, I grew up in the Northeast in lots of different, different little towns. I had 18 houses by the time I was 18. And, uh, uh, but I spent one particular stretch from middle junior high all the way up through high school in this one place called Caribou, Maine. Ever been there? No, you haven't. Because when you think of Maine, you think of lobster and, and the coast. I lived eight hours north of that place. Like you, get, you go to the end of I-95, another hour and a half up. I'm, that's where I lived. And I, I, I lived there in this little town, 10,000 people in northern Maine. My senior year of high school, my dad gets a call from a lady in a cornfield in Pekin, Illinois, who is uh, retiring as the church uh, music minister at her church, and she wants dad to come and take her place. They met in this one little, uh, you know, minister's conference in Chicago at a place called Moody Bible Institute. They, she, she had no business calling this guy, but she liked him. And my dad said, all right. And, and so he moves my whole family to the cornfields of Illinois. I stay in Maine. I have my prodigal son experience. All kinds of just craziness happened in my senior year. Don't have time. But it was one of those things that God used to show me, hey, you've got to really follow me for me, not just because your parents do or because your dad's a pastor or whatever. You've got to do this for you. And I, <laughs> uh, so that's what happened. So, so uh, from there, I graduated from high school. I didn't have anywhere to go to college. My sister just started going to this Moody Bible Institute in Chicago uh, a semester before. And so in April of my senior year of high school, while well, everybody else had already applied, I applied to my first college. I get in. Miracle. Shouldn't have happened. I get in. 
I go to this school. I spend the first year there, uh, not real productive spiritually speaking, but I, I stuck around and came back the next year. I met my wife. Reason number two to go to that school, right? We, we dated, broke up, dated, broke up. Uh, by the end of that four years at Moody Bible Institute, I had a degree in Bible theology and Greek, and I was qualified to do nothing except be a pastor. Now, uh, some people come up to me and say, how'd you get your calling to become a pastor? Uh, I didn't really get one. I was just too lazy to transfer. <laughs> and I ended up with a degree that I could either park cars, you know, at a public parking lot in Chicago, or I could be a pastor. So I took a job as being a pastor because I wanted to get married to my wife, and I had to feed her and myself. And I did that quite nicely. <laughs> so I started my ministry career. I went to my first post in Dallas, Texas. I'd never, I'd never met anybody in Dallas, Texas. I can't even begin to tell you how weird that one was. But through a friend of a friend of a friend, I got a, my name passed on to a dude in Dallas, Texas, and I ended up in Dallas for 10 years. At the end of that time, I heard about a church in Florida. People don't live in Florida. They visit there, right? But this church, you know, on a website and a first email, and, was, and, and it's just crazy. That I've stood in front of you for almost 12 years now. All right? But here's the deal. Along every stop, every port, every, every instance in my life, God was like, over here, not over here. Over here, not over here. And even in the times where I was just raising an angry fist in his face and saying, I'm not doing what you want. It's like, that's okay. Easy, easy, easy. Over here, not over here. Over here, over here. And he's gotten me to where I am. And some of you, you're frustrated, you're tired of your life, the way it's been. It doesn't have to be that. Everybody look at me. If you don't hear anything else this pastor tells you, listen to me. Your life does not have to be the way it is now. Because through God and his grace, it can be something else. He will create for you order and form. Not take you out of your trials, but he will walk with you through them. And it's a different existence. You want to see the God behind creation? See the God who brings order and form to our lives. And then quickly, see the God uh, who can and will creatively fill our lives. God created this atmosphere uh, so that things could be put in it. And these are the things. Uh, he, he says, hey, look at out of space. Let's put some lights up there. Uh, let's, let's bring uh, lights into the expanse of the heavens uh, to separate the day from the night and, and let them be the, uh, there for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Your calendar corresponds to the moons and it's, everybody knows that, right? So this was, that's the beginning of that. Now uh, let them be lights in the expanse and that the heavens give light upon the earth. And it was so, verse 16, and God made the two great lights and the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And he threw all that up in the space and then God set them in the expanse uh, uh, of the heavens to give light to, on the earth, verse 18, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was one more time good. Now, I'm going to summarize for the sake of time, but, but as you keep reading those verses, here's what happens. God comes back down to here to earth. He's filled the space that's out there, all the galaxies, stars, moons, all those things that everybody's like, you can't believe it. The, earth, the universe continues to expand and there's all these galaxies that we can just barely see with these telescopes. And it's amazing. Well, he threw all that out there, Okay. And then he comes back down here to earth and he says, all right, we got some skies to fill. So birds, all right, we got some seas to fill. So fish and sea creatures, 
All right, then we, we got some land to fill. So land creatures, we got uh, livestock and creeping things. It's the bugs. I've got questions about the bugs because I don't see a whole lot of use for the bugs right now. Uh, but, you know, maybe there was a use for them. I don't know. But, uh, but the bugs came in, and then the beasts of the field, all this stuff comes in. And then if you get to the end of day six, which is where I am now in the story, he makes us. He makes the first human. And then he looks at the end of that. Does anybody remember what he said at the end of the sixth day? He says, oh, that's very good. Mooey, mooey. Right? That's really great. And then he was done. And what he did in, his, in, his, in, in, in those fourth through six days is he took what he had set up and he filled it. Because that's his nature. God is a filler. God is a blesser. God is a giver. God, God is creative in his gifts to us. Like in his creation, platypus, seriously? Come on, let's talk about platypus. What's up with that? I mean, I, I, my guess is this. He's like, they're going to be talking about this in biology in high school for years. It's going to be so fun. Put the platypus out there. Here we go. Yeah. Wildly creative. Lavish in his, in his extension of himself. The, the, the New Testament picks it up and it talks about this filling nature of God. He just loves to give and to fill creatively. And, and it says, uh, it, it, Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 6, 38. And he says to the, the crowd he's talking to, he says, hey, give. And, and, and you shall be given too. Now some blab it and grab it, name it and claim it. Uh, false preachers have said, see, God wants you to be rich. So you give to him and then you'll receive. That's, the, the Bible never says to give so you can receive. Okay, that is, that is not true giving to me. That is, that is business, Okay. That is you receiving from what you... God just says give because it's my nature. Be a giver. Be a filler. Be lavish and creative in the ways that you can offer to people. But here's my guarantee to you, Jesus says, that if you give, God's going to wear you out. He's not, you're, you're not going to be able to you know, outgive God. He says there that there's a measure pressed down, shaken up, all right, and heaping over in your lap. They used to go... He was talking about the marketplace of the day, they used to go to the markets. Like we buy cans and, and, and packaged products. Back then, if you wanted to buy something, it was all loose. So you would take the front of your robe, the front of your, your, your garment, and you would pull it out like this, and people would pour the wheat germ or the whatever you're going to make your flour of into your robe. And it says, he's going to pour it into your lap so it's like overflowing. It's like, anybody ever had fries at Five Guys? Yeah, the fries, they're brilliant. I mean, I think you still pay the same amount of money that you were going to pay for the fries, but they call it a small fry, and they got this little, like, drinking cup, and they put fries in that. But then what they do is they just start heaping fries on top of that. It's a brilliant marketing scheme because they're making you think, five guys loves me. No, they just, they just put it in a really small cup, so it looks like they gave you a lot, right? But this isn't even five guys. This is way beyond five guys because God's not trying to trick us. He's just that generous. He's just so lavish in his love for us that he just gives over and over and over again. But we don't see it. Oh, it makes me crazy. We don't see it. I don't see it. I wake up every day and I see everything that isn't. But I fail to see the things that God has filled my, wife, my life with that are so amazing. And this is a huge part of life. If you're going to be like content and happy in life, you've got to start thinking the, seeing the things that are rather than the things that aren't. Because if you can see the things that are, you will understand that God has blessed you immeasurably. None of us deserve anything. And we've got something. Here in America, we've like made it an art form to complain about stupid stuff. You know, we, we let the stupidest things trouble us. 
where most of the world doesn't have, most of our problems come from our excess. I went to the ATM yesterday, and I pulled up to the Chase on 60 across from Cracker Barrel, and there was a car on the line. That is unacceptable. I will not wait the, the, the one minute that it's going to require that person to make their transaction. So I pull up to the front of that bank, and I get my ATM card out, and I slide it in that little thing that will open the door, magically open the door of a closed bank so that I can walk inside and use my card in there. Put the card in, message on the screen, sorry for the inconvenience, this ATM machine is no longer dispersing funds. Ichabod, right? Curses! I'm switching banks! Walk back out to my truck and get in. Now there's three cars in the ATM drive up. Ruin my day! You laugh, but you know, right? You sit in a car that God blessed you with and you complain that the idiots in front of you can't drive, forgetting the whole time that you're not walking, which most of the world does. You can't fit your jet ski in your three-car garage. Boo-hoo. Are you serious? Am I serious when we do that? Glass is half empty. We don't understand that it's overflowingly full. So if you don't hear anything else from me again today, understand that God has blessed you immeasurably. And that maybe it's time to quit looking at what isn't and start looking at what is. Maybe that'll change your attitude about work tomorrow. Glad you got a job? Not this one. Slow your roll there, cowboy. God is good. God is creative in his blessings to us, and they are immeasurable. Start talking about them in the car when you drive home. Like the whole time you go home, take turns, husband, wife, kids. Let's talk about the things that God's given us. You won't run out of stuff. You could drive to Seattle and not run out of stuff because God's been so good to us. So God wanted me to tell you those things about his creation. Sure, his creation is about his authority. Sure, his creation is about his revelation to us. No one's without excuse. Everybody sees God, even if they deny that he exists in his creation. But understand that because God created, he brings order to a messed up life. Your life messed up? Hey, if you've been coming to church and you haven't, you haven't begun to deal with the things that you were coming to church for, because a lot of people come to church and it's utilitarian. I've got to fix something in my life, so hopefully you'll say something about what's in my life. But then you're just hoping that magically it'll just go away. Hey, take some steps. Talk to me. Talk to another pastor. Get involved in some groups around here. Get involved in some counseling around here. And move from the chaos and the mess that is your life into the order that God wants to bring to it. Okay? Quit messing around. It's not going to happen magically. We believe in supernatural, but we don't believe in magic. And the supernatural requires the natural to mingle with the supernatural. Are you with me? We do our part. God does his. The rest of us, if we're not in a mess, would you leave praising God today for the great things that he has done? Would you quit throwing your own pity party about why things stink and just focus on the things that are amazing? It makes those other things not so hard to deal with. Are you with me? Let's pray.
Lord, thanks for your word and the chance just to uh, revel in your creation account. We just thank you for creating everything that is. And uh, we want to understand those two things today, God, that you're a God who can and will bring order if we let you, that you're a God who uh, can and will create and fill our lives. And you already have. So help us to remember those things. When our messes come, help us to go to you. Uh, when, we, when we begin to be discontent, help us to remember all that you've given us and be content for those things. And then move forward in the things that need to help, uh, we need to help or fix. Uh, but do that in us, God, so that we can live this life with you and for you, I pray. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen. God bless you as you go. I'll be over here in the corner if you want to start something. Blessings on you. See you at the Bonanza. Peace.